in 2013, I coined the name Grampian, and I gave it to your host, Jim Tracy. Grampian Nation, welcome back. This is going to be a super fun podcast, especially for me, because I am hooking up with a guy who has known me since probably seven or eight years old, which makes us both just a little older than dirt. Um, but it's going to be fun. Um, and I think it'll be fun for you too, because this is more of a life story. I'm going to talk to a guy who I know is a fisherman, a student, a student athlete, a soldier, an entrepreneur who formed and ran a small business for decades and, and now has become a fisher of men. It is my pleasure to welcome father and grandfather, Lance Grice, Dr. Lance Grice to the Grampian Podcast. Hey, buddy, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to be with you, Jim. All right. And you are up at Roy Lake in uh, the Northeast Glacial Lakes corner of South Dakota. And the temperature today is about... Zero. Zero. (laughs) And it's been the the warmest we've had in 10 days. Oh, my goodness. So um, uh, I I was in California recently and I said, said, well, you know, we go ice fishing in the... They said, what? Mm-hmm. Okay, we go out on the ice. And you don't go out on the ice. The ice can break. I'm like, yeah, we go out on the ice. You walk on the ice? No, we drive on the ice. <laughs> and they just don't get it. But that's part of being from California. And, uh, and if yeah. they get out of there, their world will get bigger. So <laughs> um, I uh, had an opportunity to grow up with you at a place that I look back in terms of our you know, our younger, younger years. And um, people don't understand what it's like to grow up when you're fishing and hunting and catching frogs and uh, selling worms. You got after a rainstorm with the, um, yeah. So uh, tell me and tell our folks, you know, your growing up years were idyllic in many, many ways. What was that like? You don't realize how blessed you are until you actually look back at our age now and yeah. realize what I took for granted was such great blessing to be, you know, or a kid to grow up at a resort on a lake in Northeast South Dakota and uh, to experience everything that nature has from fishing to hunting to like all those things you mentioned. Um, it really is humbling, but it's also um, makes you very thankful. Yeah. You know, I, I tell the story. Well, when we were kids, we would wrap a a Charms red um, um, cellophane wrapper from a Charms sucker over the end of a flashlight and go out on our hands and knees in the mud. And then we would pull night crawlers out of the dirt and then we would sell them. And Correct. we'd sell them to your dad. But, right. <laughs> but, but then he sold them to other people to go fishing and they're like, you sold worms. I'm like, yep, we sold worms and we were delighted to do it. Right. And, and I can remember what we made per dozen. <laughs> and that was a big deal, a dollar a dozen. It was a big deal. Yeah. And and uh and and when you learn that kind of thing growing up, there's there's a work ethic that's that's kind of tied to that. Like you're you're having fun, but it's also productive time. You're going to make a shilling or two or a buck a dozen. And and uh, and it taught us at a young age uh, a little bit about what it meant to work, didn't it? Definitely, definitely. The, yeah. the latest I remember um, one night was it rained all night. And when the crawler catching was best is when it was raining. 
during when you were doing it yeah. because the crawlers would come out and just lay on the ground. And one night I remember uh, it rained most of the night and we stayed up until four o'clock in the morning catching night crawlers. And I remember that was our biggest payload of 95 dozen. Yeah. And I think we actually caught too many. We had to take some elsewhere too, didn't we? Well, I can't remember that. I thought my dad bought them all, but you know. <laughs> could be, could be. Well, and then um, I had to count them, Jim. Yeah, I, I had to count them in those little <laughs> containers. So I didn't get, well, I kind of got paid for that too. <laughs> yeah. The little styrofoam containers. Yes. And, uh, yes. And, yes. and uh, I, I also worked at the resort for, quite a few years and uh, pulling <laughs> boats and starting motors and filling gas and making barbecues. And uh, it was really an idyllic experience for a guy to my age. And, uh, and I, and I like you look back on it with, I think I took a lot of it for granted. I, if I want to get a smile and I've had even a bad day or something that's kind of discouraging, I think about you behind the counter with John Lowe. <laughs> and that's kind of an inside joke, but you know where I'm going. Yeah. There. The voice. <laughs> what a voice for radio, huh? Oh, wow. There's only one John Lowe voice. Yep, that's right. Oh, this man had the deepest, darkest voice. And when he said <laughs> something, you could not help but listen. But, you know, your dad had a profound impact on me, too. And... um when I think about Lee Grice or Leon Grice, <laughs> um, I think about a man's man. I think about, I, I, I still tell the story a lot of times about how when he fell in the back bay chasing a mink that was toting one of his traps on a skidoo and jumped out with that Normark knife that you still carry. I still um, carry. Yeah, that that uh, was by definition the the genre of a of a true man outdoorsman, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. And it was kind of haunting for me to hear his story that actually I remember him going, I was waiting for the bus in the resort to go to school. And uh, he said, Oh, there goes a mink. And so he got on the snowmobile and started off. And uh, I, I didn't know the rest of the story, but he said, when I was in the water, I could see you get on the school bus and I yelled, but I know you couldn't hear me. Wow. And and when he told me that, it was a little bit of a chilling feeling went up my spine, yeah. thinking, wow, my dad was in a life-threatening situation, and I was getting on a bus and, and couldn't hear his call. Yeah. So he had fallen through the ice, so he was having a lot more of a chilling sensation than you were. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. And he's been in the water lots of times, <clears throat> but he had overshoes on with uh, zippers. Yeah. that had gravel in them and he could not get the boots off like he did other times when he went in and he, they were like a weight. So the, the, the overshoes were keeping him in the water where he couldn't yeah. get up out of there. Like he did other times. Yeah. I'll never forget that story. So um, then we, and we, you and I went fishing a, a great deal together. And yes. I remember one time I hooked a giant bass uh, out I can remember where it was uh, along the shore of an island, um, east side of the big bay. island. Yep. <laughs> and uh, and Lance was hollering at me, "Don't horse it! Don't horse it!" And I'm thinking, okay. "I'm fishing. What do horses have to do with anything?" <laughs> and uh, and I was pulling too hard on the rod, and the bass yeah. got away. And have you forgiven me yet? I've forgiven you. <laughs> I've forgiven you. 
Because the real story is, is he handed me the rod. Well, this loser rod actually catch one. So, uh, yeah. Correct. So, thanks. I was rolling and you were fishing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, roll into some of the middle years. You were a student and you're a pretty good student in Britain. And then you were a student athlete. Um, we played a lot of basketball out, uh, out next to the resort and, uh, I'm still might've been the only guy in the zip code who stuffed one of your shots, but you like <laughs> playing short guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, you know, everything you look back at your life and, uh, there are little parts of it that built your character, you know, and sports was a part of that. I wasn't a great athlete by any means. Um, but contributed in a smaller town. And so when you're in a smaller town, you you're involved in football and you start usually for a couple of years in basketball and in Britain uh, was quite an honor to make the team. I think when I was a senior, we had won the um, district tournaments in our area 16 years in a row. So it was quite an honor to be a basketball player. So that's kind of where my main focus was just because of the um, popularity and the focus in our school at that time, but uh, yeah. definitely a character builder and uh, lots of stories about that. Yeah. And then I tell the story about, I mean, uh, the next step of being a student, you decide to enroll in the reserve officer training corps and yes. have uncle Sam uh, pay for your school, which is way smarter than the way I did it. <laughs> a way, a, a way easier path to have Sam pay for it. But I mean, uh, then uh, you parlayed that into dental school. Correct. So, but but by any measure, you were soldier, man. Correct. And, and how I knew. Long did you serve? I served uh, four years active in the army, paying back a scholarship. Yeah. And then I was six years in the air guard in Sioux Falls as a dentist there. Okay. So um, as you look back, like, did, uh, did they make you go through a boot camp? I know you went out to Washington one time and had a, had a yes. uh, simulated Fort Lewis, Fort Lewis, boot Fort camp. Lewis for uh, nine weeks. And uh, then I went to uh, uh, into Colorado for another three weeks of officer training with okay. a transportation unit. And then I came back home. And uh, then when I went to dental school, I got that, um, as you said, parlayed um, <laughs> until I got done with dental school. But what an incentive to make it work um, to go in the dental corps. And then before I went into the dentistry, um, I graduated from dental school, at University of Nebraska at Lincoln. And then I had to go to what they call um, medical officers. Uh, basic, which <laughs> way different than the basic out of Fort Lewis. I'll tell you, we, we stayed in the Sheraton. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. Went to classes, ate out at night, you know, all the veterinarians and medical doctors, and the dentists had a great time. <laughs> well, they had to take good care of you because you could take good care of all the rest of the soldiers. So thanks for your service, man. I don't know yeah. if I've ever said that to you, but it's appreciated. And I know that it was a kind of a a two-way street, but people who serve have every right to get a salute from the Grampian. And, and, uh, when you get the swag, only podcast podcast guests get the swag, you'll find an American sleeve pointed the right direction on your shoulders. So, uh, yeah. but thanks for your service. So no then problem. you get out of the service and you said, Hey, I've, I've I'm a doctor. I'm, I'm, I have a dental degree, a DDS, and, and I'm going to go find some place to, apply all the things I've learned. 
but you roll right into an entrepreneurial situation. Is that accurate? Correct. Yeah. In and the reason why I got there was uh, in the military. I really like military dentistry. I probably would have stayed in 20 years, but uh, we had two little ones at that time. Uh, Russell was three and Hillary was a year and a half. And they told me that my next tour was going to be the, the hardship tour, which is Korea for 15 months without my family. <laughs> and when I heard that and I thought about my kids and my wife, I said, no, I'm, I'm not going to yeah. do that. And that's when we actually looked at a private practice in South Dakota. Awesome. Priorities, right, man. Good for you. So, uh, and you moved to Platt. Where is Platt? Tell people, I mean, this goes all over the world. So when I say Platt, they're like, what? It's a P-A-L-A-T-T-E on the end, Platt, South Dakota. Platt. And a lot of people are confused. They think that's North Platte, Nebraska, but it's Platte, <laughs> South Dakota. It's about two miles or two hours uh, straight west of Sioux Falls. It's about 15 minutes from the Francis Case Reservoir, which is part of the Missouri River system. And uh, it's a beautiful place to live. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. And the pheasant hunting around there is it's phenomenal. perhaps the best in the world. Yeah. I, I tell the story that when I came to Platte, um, growing up in Northeast South Dakota, that's not as great at pheasant hunting. And I'd heard such wonderful things. And I came in 1989 and they'd had a couple of years of drought and they were telling me how terrible the pheasant hunting was and it's not even worth getting a license. And, and, uh, I had been hunting quail down in Kansas for four years. And so <laughs> I thought, well, I'm going to get a license. I just got a new little lab and I was going to go hunting with her. And, uh, I, I went out by myself, just public areas. And I think that year, I think I kept it in my mind. I shot 29 roosters. No, no. I shot 28 roosters in 29 shots. Oh, and wow. the, purpose, the purpose was after hunting quail um, for all those years in Kansas, when those uh -huh. pheasants got up after hunting quail, it was like they weren't even moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So I've never I, shot that well again. I'm I'm interested. Some of the things that you did in Platt were remarkable simply because you're running a small business and you really have to be loyal to a town. And I remember my uncle Brownie telling me that like when you provide those kind of professional services in a small town, you are on call 24 seven, 365, and there's no getting away unless you really leave like out of the time zone. Is that, is that kind of a picture? That's so, that's so true. And the other thing is, even if you're away from your home, small towns kind of know where you're at. <laughs> they know and how to you, get a hold of you. And if you get one bad review, you don't get opportunities for bad reviews in a small town, do you? No, it, uh, you don't get a lot of incoming new patients. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You get some, but most of them. Uh, but what, you, what happens there is they also become your family. Yeah. They become not just patients, but they become your friends. They become your family and your community. And uh, sure. when you get that call and they're asking you to come in because they have a toothache or something got fractured, um, it's just like your family is asking you to come in. So it's, it's way different than in a city. It's not if, it's when, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And when guys work with cattle, um, mm -hmm. boy, there's going to be some trauma going on yeah, with gates sure. and cows and cows defending calves. And so yeah. I had quite a bit of trauma involved with, with cattle. <laughs> yeah. And now speaking of family, your family was involved in the practice too. Didn't Amy work with you for quite some time? You know what? She worked with me um, when I started. Uh -huh. And then as the practice grew and the kids started growing and she wanted to be home with them and for their yeah. activities, and she wasn't in the clinic anymore. 
Uh-huh. And then at the end of my practice, she was kind of more involved when the kids were gone. And so she was um, at the beginning and at the end, but not yeah. in the middle, probably. Uh, the best book Andy ever bought, huh? <laughs> yes. All yes. right. Um, so um, what are some of the challenges of being an entrepreneur uh, in a small town? Boy, there's a lot of things I could talk about there. Um because of the closeness of your patients, you know, like when you're in a city practice, mm-hmm. you know, just a few things about those people Yeah. when they come into your practice, even if you have them for five or 10 or 15 years in your practice in a city, you just don't get to know them so well, but in a small town, um, in the area of fees in the area of care in the area of all these things, um, because of the closeness you have, uh, and knowing that a lot of the income um, and very little insurance at the time I started in Platt. So it was coming out of their pockets. Mm-hmm. I really tried to be as conservative as I could with my practice and yet have good care to keep my fees down. Yeah. And uh, I was in a study club um, where we would just often sometimes talk about certain fees and the guys in the city would get so upset with me for how low my fees were uh, <laughs> because it affected their what they could charge for insurance and different things. And so they'd actually get kind of almost upset with me, but it's like, I would tell them, I'd say, you know, I'm making a decent living and, and these are, these are family. These are people that are part of my community. And I know they're, they're not lots of millionaires in Platt. Yeah, and sure. so it affected that part of being, you know, uh, in the realm of, of caring for people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, again, uh, the commitment that you made to a small town continued then because you moved up to, um, I mean, actually God moved you up <laughs> to, right. to the place where the, to the, but back to the roots, back to the beginning, you had a, you had kind of a summer house up in at Roy Lake. And now I see, I see an 11 pound walleye behind you that's, yes. uh, that probably came out of there. If I'm guessing, is that, is that where it came from? That's correct. All right. So what, uh, what, what drew you? I mean, I know, I, I know, but the people want to know what drew you back to Roy Lake. That's a little long story. I'll try to make it somewhat brief. Um, when we were in Platt, um, we got involved in ministry there with the young people, with teenagers, with high school, um, young people. Yeah. And I did that for almost 30 years in Platt. And uh, when you work with young people and you give messages and they go back and talk with their parents, um, I started early on in the early 90s getting invited to when pastors were gone for pulpit supply, I would get asked to come and share scripture in churches. And by the time I left um, Platt, I had been in 35 different churches in three different states (laughs) of, of, of sharing those messages. And so it was always dentistry in a way, if you know anything about scripture and Paul, Um, he considered what he did with tent making just to support his ministry. Uh And so dentistry, even though it was important to me and I tried to do the best I could, I realized it was really the tent making of my life. Mm -hmm. My main focus was um, to use my gifts, if that be teaching or preaching or whatever, encouraging. Um, That was really what it was. And so when I got to the point of selling my practice early, um, I, I sat, sold it earlier than most people do just because I had such a call um, to be more involved in ministry. Then doors started to open up back here at home 
And uh, it's kind of like if you've had a pastor that's been in a church for a long time, um, they get to the point where they feel like, you know, there's not much more I can do here. Yeah. You know, I've shared my heart. I've, I've started ministries. I've done been involved. Um, that's kind of how I was feeling in Platt. And there was something about coming back home. Um, we really didn't plan on it, but just felt like there were doors closing in Platt in certain ways and then doors opening up here. And yeah. we really felt that that's where God was calling us to. And we already had a home up here. And so um, it's kind of funny. Um, when you have that call, we sold our practice one day and we sold our house in Platt the next. And we were kind of like the Beverly Hill, Hillbillies in the, in the, in heading, heading, heading up to Roy Lake. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so the short version of this story is you have come full circle from being a fisherman to a fisher of men. Correct. Is that, is that um, something, I mean, when I look at your congregation in Britain, the Britain First Presbyterian Church of Britain, South Dakota, right. um, and, and I see you encouraging and cajoling a congregation to, to, uh, to actually go out and be the church. Is, I mean, yeah. that's, that's got to be, I mean, at some point you're dragging all of us old people into... <laughs> The new age of Christianity. I don't want to say new age because that would be really wrong. But but uh, in, into a new era, of a new time, yeah. Service in 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 the community because you're really branching that toward the community. Yes, um, it's funny how you're saying that about a fisher of people or fisher of men. Um, actually, my message tomorrow or Sunday. <laughs> is based on that. It's based on uh, the very uh, sequence that Christ gave us to become fishers yeah. of people. Yeah. And uh, that sequence is, is what I preach um, to encourage and to tell them where life is really at. Yeah. He, he wasn't saying that in a, in a, in a uh, context that was, that was theoretical in any way. He's like talking to a fisherman. He's like, Peter, no, no, man, I'm going to teach you to fish something bigger and better. And, Correct. Uh, Correct. And, and that, and that is just a kind of an awesome analogy, especially for a guy, for those who you don't know, this dude on the line is the best fisherman that ever sat next to a boat. And, uh, and yeah, and now, um, and now, uh, a senior pastor and, uh, tell us about your role in Britain. Um, and, and how long well, you've been doing it. And yeah, when I, when, when doors started to open here and I thought, okay, Lord, you're, you're guiding and directing me toward my home area. What am I going to do? What I, I had no idea what he was going to do. And, uh, this Presbyterian church that invited me to come because they were without a pastor at the time. And I just started sharing on Sundays and they would ask me back more and more. And then there was actually a program within the Presbyterian Church um, that's called a commissioned ruling elder, which is if you become an elder, you can go to additional training with pastors and they uh, you actually become commissioned to do everything a pastor does within the Presbyterian Church. Um, but you're not ordained, you're commissioned, which is a little different animal. Yeah. Um, and and so not knowing what I was going to do when I came back, it just kind of all fell into place, which is kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, of one step after another, after another, and then to be involved in the community, like, um, I've been able to do, um, as a lay person, yeah. um, people still call me doctor, but it's like, <laughs> it's definitely not a doctor of theology. <laughs> yeah. 
So what are some of the challenges you have in, in coming in? Now, you're, you, everybody knows you. You're from there. Right. But, but now you're kind of a carpetbagger coming back. And right. Right. what challenges are that? Uh, it's really fun. Uh, because I think part of um, this, that people are open to the message of the gospel and, and that whole thing about fishermen, you know, the background of being a fisherman and knowing that I grew up at the resort and training fishermen how to go out and catch fish yeah. and actually leading them in that area. There's a lot of similarities to that and that part of being a fisher of men um, and the techniques and the abilities and the temperament and all those different things. Yeah. And then to be able to come to a small town that they know your background. And I know a lot of their backgrounds. Of course, a lot of people are new to Britain now, but to be able to, to, to bring things that I know is a visual for them, like Jesus did when he taught the parables. He picked parables that were very similar that everyone would understand because they live in it. They're living it. Sure. And uh, be able to come back to Britain, South Dakota, knowing how we live, how we think, how the culture reacts. Yeah. Um, it's really fun to bring the, the scriptures alive through personal experiences in Britain, personal observations coming back after being gone for yeah. Many, many, many years yeah. um, living in a small town like Platt and the similarities are there. Um, it's it's really been a fun ride. Yeah, that's so cool. And when when you talk about being a fisherman, people don't understand um, you and I, your dad would have people come to him and say, hey, we you know, we don't know how to fish this lake. And, and they would and, and they would pay us sometimes to take them out fishing. Correct. And I remember uh, your dad says, hey these guys are going to come and they want to catch fish and here's what I want you to do. And your dad was talking about catching Northerns with them. And I was like, well, mm -hmm. pretty much any idiot can catch a Northern. So <laughs> that's a job for me. Not, not in <laughs> and, July, not in July, but <laughs> that's a uh, challenge. <laughs> yeah. But when they, but, but when they got, we got in the boat and they're like, Oh no, we, no, we want to catch bullheads. And I'm like, you want to catch bullheads? Well, that's easy. <laughs> I hope yeah. the people in Nebraska don't take offense at that. They're usually Nebraskans. Yeah. <laughs> but we caught five-gallon buckets full of bullheads, bullheads, and I'm getting rid of all the bad fish in the lake. It was awesome. So oh, they didn't uh, think when, they were bad. No, and they weren't bad. They were actually really good eating. But, yeah. but when we talk about fishing, you're talking about people who actually in their in in their in their early teens were taking men out fishing and teaching them how to fish. Correct. And uh, you did that a lot. I know a lot more than me. Correct. Yeah. Correct. A lot more success anyway. <laughs> and, that, and that's really uh, teaching scripture is basically the same thing. Yeah. You know, I always tell people, you know, I'm here to tell you what to put on the line, how to cast it, what depth to have it. I can, if even I come along, I can net it for you. Um, yeah. But it's all your responsibility. Yeah. I can only take you so far. And I think that's what you're talking about, Jim. I am. I am. <laughs> you know, um, uh, add to that journey. Now we're going to take the next step. Now you're living up at Roy Lake. You're, you're uh, pastoring in Britain, but there's another role that is besetting you. And that's the, the role of grandpa, which yeah. is pretty cool for a grampian to talk to another grampian about. Yes. And like I said, we're probably a little bit older than dirt, but um, when I see your interaction with your grandkids, that's one of the things that when I think about Lance, I'm like, this dude is a champion 
because he has his priorities like ducks in a row, and he's also been successful as a student, a soldier, an entrepreneur, a fisherman, and now a fisher of men. But some of our greatest opportunities to impact the world are going to come through our grandkids. And I'm watching online anyway, and I'm watching how you deal with um, uh, some uh, some unusual opportunities that you have to spend time with your grandkids up at Roy Lake. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's, uh, you know, I had an assistant that she had her granddaughter first before I had grandchildren and she would come to work after being a weekend with them. And she, that's all I heard about. I just heard about how tall they were, what they were doing, what they were saying. And it would just go on and on and on. And I finally, after about three weeks of that, I said, Carol, I said, is it really that great? And she looks at me and says, yes, it is. And then when I had our first grandchild yeah. and got to experience it, I came to work one morning and said to Carol, I said, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't get it until you get it. No, you can't, you can't you get can't it until you get it. Yeah. You, if, you, if, if you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. And uh, it's pretty wonderful. How many grandkids do you have now? We have eight now. Yep. Eight. eight. All right. And they range from almost one to 11. Yeah. One to 11. Well, I'm in a pretty similar boat. I've got, I've got 14 now and they range from 20 on the long side, uh, on the older side to, um, four. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we have great opportunities to spend time. And one of the things that comes up with me is that, uh, we do some specials on grandparents Academy and I used you in fishing as a, uh, with, with one of your grandsons. And I saw a picture and I think it was you and crew who yeah. were, who were fishing and, and, uh, the look of, of, uh, contentment on both of your faces is what I would say was yeah. the thing that drew me in and to use that picture. So thanks for that, yeah. man. So no. what message do you have Lance for the folks out there who are listening to this going, Hey man, I want to be a champion, but it's hard and nobody understands. And uh, you know, the message of Grampian is anybody can be a champion. All you got to do is all you got to do is try and you got to persevere and you got to, whatever your chosen endeavor is, you just got to keep going. And I watch you as a guy, you've just kept going. Yeah. What words of encouragement do you have for our audience? I guess I, I think about, some people, when they get to a point in their life and they're a little older and they feel like they've been a failure in certain areas, which we all do at times, is I want to encourage those that are listening that every day can be a new day. Every go. day. yeah, Every day with a new thought. Every day with a new encouragement. Uh, a new thing that you can do with your grandkids. A new thing you can do with your wife. Um, every day is a new day. It's a new challenge. You can't let those failures or those things that you wish turned out better in the past plague you for your future. And, and it can be the simple thing of, of just a simple thing you do today or tomorrow morning. Yeah. Um, that, that's what I think is the power of what God promises is that yeah. every day he gives to us is a, it's a new day. His mercies and, are uh, new every morning. Every morning. Every yeah, morning. Yeah. So um, the last thing that I wanted to share is I've got a piece of dirt on you that your kids probably don't know, which is pretty cool. <laughs> and, uh, and so the, I waited until the end of the podcast. I'm going to turn it off now. I'm to turn off. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I have the microphone, so I win. <laughs> so um, I boxed a bit in college, and, and, I, and I did a lot of things that were pretty rough and tumble. And Lance took the high road, and I took the low road. But 
on this planet, there are only two times that I've been knocked out cold. And once was on the football field where I was just like, blado, laying it down, snot running down my nose. And it was just, and I woke up and there were like a lot of guys looking at me. But the other time I was in a fishing boat and this guy, <laughs> I won't tell you why, because it's kind of gross, but I spun around to look at him and he let, met me with a right cross and it was Lance Grice, knocked me colder than a mackerel and it was uh, deserved. I earned it. <laughs> But I want your kids to know that you're a tough guy, too. <laughs> My temper, I, I just shared this in youth group this last past week, that when I was younger, I had a temper. <laughs> Boy, if it snapped, watch out. Well, I crossed over that line, and I, I want you to know that there's only twice I've ever been knocked out, and both of them both of them were pretty dramatic, but one was really earned, and that was you. So uh, you kept Sorry me in about line. That, Jim. <laughs> no, you kept me in line, and uh, and I appreciate that. But your your kids need to know, and your grandkids need to know that there's there's a right hook in there that's a paymaker. <laughs> they uh they don't get to see that part of me, thankfully, very often. Yeah. Oh, good, good. All right. Well, Grampian Nation, I, I want you to join me in thanking Lance for joining us, and then as always, I want you to tune in. I want you to subscribe, and I want you to come back often and get some lessons about perseverance, about being a champion. Thanks again for tuning in. This is Jim and Lance, and I am out. When you get an opportunity, subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcast.